If you would remain standing in honor of God's word, two texts for today, Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8, Numbers chapter 13, verse number 21. I know this is such a random thing for me to say, but I just felt like I, I need to say it. If if you are a uh, married couple and you feel like you want to go into ministry, would you, not right this moment, but would you make yourself known to me sometime after service? Um, I just feel like I need to talk with you. Thank you very much for that personal announcement. Anyway, um, Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8, and Numbers chapter number 13. The Bible says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Numbers chapter 13 verse 21 says, so they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rohab near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshkol and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They told him and they said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey and this is the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. God bless you, by the way. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel an evil report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. We are continuing in our series, Stay Woke, where we're talking about changing your mind in order to change your life. And last week, we began to shift the focus from why we ought to think right to what we ought to think on. From why to what. And uh, that's really the essence of our first text, Philippians 4.8, when it says, think on these things. There are certain kinds of things that God instructs us to think on for our benefit. And as we've been studying throughout this series... So that we can experience the life that he's designed for us, the, the will that he has for our lives. And so this morning, very simply, I want to minister to you on the subject, think on good things. Think on good things. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you make this message, would you make this word relevant and real to every single person? Help somebody today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. you may be seated. 
Um, just by way of review, let me reiterate the why behind the series title, Stay Woke. Stay Woke is a expression that is used today um, that is supposed to be pointed at the systems of oppression that are working behind the scenes in our society that make for both um, racial and social justice virtually impossible because they are baked into our society. And the reason why I chose this as a message title or a series title is because I believe in a spiritual sense there are systems that are working behind the scenes that that we oftentimes are unaware of that are there keeping us bound as believers, preventing us from being and experiencing everything that God wants us to have. And one such system is the system that is happening, the system of deception, if you will, that is happening in our minds, that the enemy is purposefully and intentionally distorting our thinking so that we miss out on everything that God has for us. And we've been talking about that in this series, and God specifically speaks to such a system in one of among many scriptures that we've been looking at, First Peter chapter 5, verse number 8, where he says, be on your guard and stay awake or stay woke. We know that that means wake up to what's happening that you can't see. Literally, in this text, wake up to what's going on in your head. Wake up to the deception that's going on in your mind. Wake up to the thoughts that you're thinking on. Wake up to all of the things that you view as insignificant that are vying for space in your mind that are distorting the way you think and therefore the experience that you have. And notice he says, wake up there because your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion sneaking around to find someone to attack. In other words, the way that the enemy gains access into our life is through our mind. It's his only doorway into our lives. And that's why we are told to put on the helmet of salvation. We are told to take our thoughts captive. God wants us to protect the space in our minds so that our lives can go in the direction that he wants them to. But this is a battle. This is something that is easier said then done. There's a battle to think on the good things that are going on in life. Our natural proclivities are to meditate on and think on the bad things of life. The things that give us anxiety, the things that steal our peace, the things that cause us to worry, the things that keep us up late at night. Our natural proclivity is to think on those things, but God says we need to think on good things. And you might remember this was the precise battle that the children of Israel had when they got out of Egypt on their way to the promised land. They were battling between thinking on the good things that were before them and the bad things that were behind them. And the enemy kept trying to pull them back to their prior mindset because if you remember from last week, we said that new seasons require new mindsets. You can't move to the next level that God has for you with the same old mindset. And so the enemy kept trying to pull them back to an Egyptian mindset when they were called to take the promised land. One such example of this that we looked at is Numbers chapter 11, verse number four. And for purposes of review, let me reiterate, here's what it says. It says, now the mixed multitude who are among them yielded to intense craving So the children of Israel also wept again, and they said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, 
and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. And I want you to notice here the struggle to think right. They are misremembering what Egypt was like. They are misremembering what they've been pulled out of. When you listen to their description, it's almost as if it sounds like they had personal waiters and waitresses who brought them trays of fish, you know, baked in some seasonings like leeks and onions and garlic and said, how would you like your fish today? But that's not at all what happened in Egypt. Matter of fact, they didn't even eat fish freely in Egypt. They were in bondage in Egypt. They were beaten in Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt. Their women were being raped and they were being beat across their back while they watched their kids dying. Egypt was not a place of freely eating anything you want to. Egypt was a place of bondage. What is the enemy doing? They've been delivered from Egypt. They're on their way to the place of freedom. And what's he trying to do? Pull them back by pulling their mind back to the way something wasn't to misremembering something fondly that wasn't fond at all. Sort of like what he does to us. You know, sometimes we can get to a place and we start thinking back. We go, oh, that was such a great relationship. No, it wasn't. It wasn't a great relationship, I promise you. All they did was put you down in that relationship. All, all that happened in that relationship is you, you wandered further and further away from God. But sometimes the enemy will try to get up in your brain and cause you to stop going forward by making you misremember Egypt mentality when he's called you to the promised land. Or maybe you, you, know, you look back, all oh, that job that I used to have, it was so wonderful. It was minimum wage and no advancement. Oh, that house. I, I just love that old house. The water barely ran and the heat didn't go on all the time. And you're misremembering the house. All these things that we can, all oh, the college days were the greatest days in all the world. Yeah, if like partying and having random sex with anybody who you don't know was your idea of a good time, then I guess it was all right. Right? Misremembering stuff in a fond way to pull us back to where God has delivered us from God wants us to have the right mindset, to think on the right things, to think on good things. And this was their battle to think on good things that were ahead of them or the bad things that were behind them or even right there in their personal experience at the time. That was their battle, just like it's our battle. And Israel faced that battle the whole time, not only as they were journeying through the wilderness, but while they were on the border of the promised land. And that's where our story kind of picks up. Moses sends out 12 spies. They're all supposed to go out, check out the promised land, report back, let them know what they're up against. Because how many of you know, in order to get what God wants you to have, you have to be intentional? See, most people don't know that. Most people think that if God wants you to have it, it'll just happen. There's something called the power of intention where you set your mind. Matter of fact, the Bible even says, set your mind on things above. The power of intention. You've got to decide that you're going to move forward. You've got to decide that you're going to strive. You've got to decide that you're going to receive and take what God has promised. And if you don't decide, if you don't have a plan for it, very rarely will you get the promise that God has for you. And so Moses sends him out. Come on back. Let us know what we're up against so that we can develop a plan. And they come back, and they've all seen the same things. They've all seen that the land is good, that it, to quote our text, flows with milk and honey. They brought back these grapes the size of basketballs. The grapes were so big that it took two men to carry one cluster of grapes on a pole that they held on their shoulders and walked back with. And we know from last week that those men were probably Joshua and Caleb. 
And they all saw the same thing. They saw the grapes. They saw the good land. But they also saw the giants in the land. And I just want to encourage somebody that, that anytime there's grapes in your future, there's always giants in your way. Did you get that? Anytime there's grapes in your future, there's always giants in your way. And, and matter of fact, don't look at your giants as stop signs. You know, a lot of people, they're kind of going along, you know, God wants this for me. And all of a sudden something bad happens. They go, I guess God doesn't want this for me. Stop sign. Here's what I want to encourage you, that on your journey to everything that God has for you, there's always going to be giants in your way. Here's what you need to know. You need to know in your spirit this is what God has. And if you know in your spirit this is what God has for you, God will give you the power to slay the giants that are in your way. Whenever there's a giant in your way, on your way to what God has for you, the only reason why God doesn't take the giant out is because you have the strength to overcome the giant. And so there they are, and they see the giants, and they see the grapes. All of them see the same thing, and the battle is on. The battle for the mind. Think on the good things. Think on the bad things. We know the way the story breaks. Ten of them think on the bad things. Ten of them think on the giants. And remember what they said, Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. There we saw the giants, the sons of Enoch. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in theirs. And because they meditated on the giants, they got a grasshopper mentality. And because they got a grasshopper mentality, they could not live in the promised land. Because you can't get into the promised land with the wrong mentality. And all because they thought on the wrong things. But two of them thought on the right things. Joshua and Caleb. Not coincidentally, these are the ones that carried the grapes. The more time you spend focusing on the grapes, the better your mentality will be. The more time or the more opportunity you open the door for the enemy to get you back to where you came from, the harder it will be to focus on the grapes. The more you focus, uh, fail to focus on the grapes, the longer it takes you to get to the promised land. Two of them focus on the grapes. Two of them say, we can do this. We're well able. God is on our side. And those two were the only two that made it into the promised land. Ten plus all the people that listened to those ten died in the wilderness. Over one million people failed to receive what God wanted for their life because they thought on the wrong things. Think on good things. Think on the right things. This is the essence of our text, Philippians 4, 8, when it says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. So today I want to give you three things, three good things to think on. Okay. Thought number one, think good things about yourself. Think good things about, about you. Matter of fact, notice in Numbers chapter 13, verse number 32, the Bible says they brought up an evil report of the land that they were went, went to spy out. And one of the reasons why it was evil is because they called themselves grasshoppers. They said, we're grasshoppers. God said, that's evil. Let me say it again. They said, we're grasshoppers. God said, that's evil. Anytime you call yourself something less than what you are, it's evil. 
It's not from God. It's not a sign of humility. It's not you being like, well, you know, God wants us to think less of ourselves and I'm being humble. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say, think less of yourself. Here's what it says. Don't think more of yourself than you should. But it never says, think less of yourself. And there's a big difference between thinking more of yourself than you should and less of yourself than you should. One of the ways the enemy keeps us trapped is by causing us to think less of ourselves. And one of the ways he causes us to think less of ourselves is pulling us back to our past, pulling us back to what we've been delivered from. And so all of a sudden you're on your way to better things and you can't accept those better things because the enemy will remind you of something that you did. He'll remind you of a mistake that you made. He'll define you by your past. But in Jesus Christ, your past has been washed away. It's been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. And so they said, we're grasshoppers. God said, that's evil. Don't think less of yourself. Think good things about yourself. If you don't think good things about yourself, when good things come your way, you'll self-sabotage. Why? Because you don't, you won't think, and you won't even know you're you're doing it. You won't think you're worthy of better things. You'll think that, well, this is just kind of like my lot in life. I'm incapable of really doing more. Can I just tell you? Just reach for the stars. I'd rather reach for the the stars and like hit a bird in the air than like you know reach for you know something that's right above my head and hit the curb. Reach high. Shoot for the stars. Part of that is, is thinking good things about yourself. Listen to some of the things that the Bible says about you. And by the way, what is evil is when you think other than what the Bible says about you. Remember what the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Whatever things are true, and I want to say true about you, but not just true about you, but Whatever things are honest about you, and not just true and honest about you, but whatever things are true, honest, and just about you. But not whatever things are just true, honest, and just. Whatever things are true, honest, just, and pure about you. But not just that. Whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, and lovely about you. But not just that. Whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, and have virtue in them, and are praiseworthy. Think those things about yourself. Not anything else. Listen to what the Bible says about you. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, you're a masterpiece. The Bible says in, in Genesis 1.26, you're made in the image and likeness of God. That means you look like God. That means you look like God. You've been made in the, I'm going to prove this to you in just a little while. That's why I'm staying on it for a minute. You look like, I promise you. Some people, what does God look like? He looks very much like us. We are made in his image and in his likeness. If I told you that my child was a spitting image of me, what would you think? They, they look like you. You're a spitting image of your father. You look just like him. Isn't that good news? The Bible says you're the head and not the tail. Deuteronomy 28 verse 13. It says you're the apple of God's eye. Psalm 17 verse 8. It says you're more than a conqueror. Romans 8 37. It says you're forgiven. Psalm 103 verse 12. It says you're justified. Romans 5 1. It says you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 21. It says you're a pearl of great price. Matthew 13 14. It says you're beloved. Romans 1 7. That you're a friend of God. John 15 15. And 
heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 17. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen people. 1 Peter 2, 9. Lights in a lost world. Matthew 5, 14. Ambassadors of heaven. 2 Corinthians 5, 12. Blood bought. 1 Peter 1, 19. Redeemed. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Blessed. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And not just blessed, but blessed coming and going. Deuteronomy 28, verse 6. That's what the Bible says about you. Anything else is evil. Why? Because it'll, it'll keep you bound. It'll keep you out of your promise. And what I, what I, what I thought was interesting about this text is they came back and they said, they said, there we saw the sons of Anak. And we were like grasshoppers. And I'm thinking, what a big mess. Saying, why? Because they were the sons and daughters of God. You know what they should have said? There we saw the sons of Anak, but wait till they get a glimpse of us, the sons and daughters of God. See, they need to realize they were higher than what they were looking at. And as a child of God, you are already seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You already have an identity that is far superior than anything that you can accept in this world. You are a child of God. You are a son and a daughter of Almighty God. Stop walking in less than what God has created you to be. Think good things about yourself. But number two, I want you to think good things about God. By the way, I heard this little story before I move into God and stay on you for just a second. I heard this little story of this, this little boy's in the backyard playing, playing baseball, throw the baseball up and, you know, trying to hit it. He threw the baseball up in the air, swung with all his might. And as he was swinging, he said, I'm the best hitter in all the world. And he whiffed, missed the ball. Tried it again. Threw the baseball up in the air. Swung with all of his might. I'm the best hitter in all the world. And he missed. Third time he got smart. Threw the baseball up in the air. Swung with all his light. Missed. Said, I'm the best pitcher in all the world. <laughs> Think good things about yourself. Sometimes you've got to reframe your experience. Nothing wrong with that. I said lie about your experience. I said reframe your experience. You know what, you know what the interesting thing about history is? You know who writes history? It's the winners. What, what, what we read about history is not always accurate. I could really get into that a lot. Because it, it's the people who, who came out on top that wrote the history. And so they write it from their perspective, right? Now, it's not all nonsense. It's not all a lie. Um, some of it actually happened, but they put a slant on the way it actually went down to, 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 to be in line with the experience of being the winner. Here's the thing that I learned about, and we say this all the time, that with Jesus, we're destined to win. We get to be the winners in our life. Guess what that means? You get to write your own history. You get to reframe the experience in such a way that it affects your mind positively. You could look at something as a setback, but I might look at it as a setup for a comeback. Which I'm just, I'm just reframing. You might look at it as, as a mess, but I look at it as a miracle in the making. You might look at it as a tragedy, but I look at it as a triumph waiting to happen. See, you just got, sometimes you've got to reframe your experience, in order to keep your mind in the right way. And it's not denial of experience because denial will mess up your mind. Big difference between that. If you want more teaching on how denial can mess up your mind, go back in the, earlier in the series when I talked about how the mind works. But you need to think good things about you. And then number two, 
You need to think good things about God. Why were Caleb and Joshua able to say, we can, we can go up and take this land? We're well able to take this land. Because God had promised them the land. Because they knew who who God was. They knew that God was the one who, who delivered them from Egypt, that he was the one who caused the Red Sea to be parted, that he was the one who caused them to walk through on dry land, that he was the one who drowned Pharaoh's army, that he was the one who gave them water from a rock and manna from heaven. Caleb and Joshua realized that, and they knew that this good God was on their side. And I'm not sure where we have gotten the mistaken and very bad theology that God is anything but good. I don't know who told us. Because you might say in your mind, because you come to a church like this, yeah, I know God is good. But how many times do you think you do something wrong, God's out to get you? That you make a mistake and you can never live your destiny again. And, and those are all seeds. Those are all little thought things that are manifesting themselves in your now to keep you bound. When you twist who God is, when God is some type of ogre, when God is some type of pay you back, get you back, you know, not wanting you to enjoy nice things in life, it'll sabotage where you're going in life. And, and meanwhile, if you look at the scripture, the scripture is emphatic about who God is. And can I just say this before I, before I give you some scriptures? You are a New Testament believer, which means don't have an Old Testament theology. Let me say it again and I'll explain it. You're a New Testament believer, which means that you have a new covenant, right? The Bible says that new covenant is established on better promises. Don't have an Old Testament theology. The Old Testament was not for theology, That's not its primary purpose. Is there theology that carries from the Old Testament to the New Testament? Yes. But the purpose of the Old Testament was not to craft our theology. Say, Pastor, what are you talking about? The New Testament tells us that the Old Testament was there as a schoolmaster to teach us that we needed a Savior. Here was the purpose of the Old Testament, to show you and I that if we operate in our own righteousness, if we operate based on what we do and what we don't do, we'll never be right in the eyes of God, and we'll always get the judgment of God. But come out of that old covenant, because you don't live there anymore. You are in a new covenant that shows you because you couldn't do it by yourself. Jesus came to do what you can, and you are now underneath a covenant of goodness and grace and so when you come into the new testament you find god teaching us about himself in a very very profound way james chapter 1 verse number 17 it says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above it comes down from the father of lights in whom there's no variableness neither shadow of turning what is God trying to let us know I like to give you good things I'm a good God uh Matthew chapter 7 verse number 11 how many is a parent how many wants their kids to have good things how many wants their kids to have better things than they have and can I just say this, hopefully not offending anybody. If you don't, you're a horrible parent. <laughs> Point blank. Point blank. That, that's not some like, you know, different way of parenting. It's bad parenting to not want your kids to have 
better than you. Something happened along the way if you are a parent and you don't want your kids to have better than you that has messed up your mindset. Because watch this. Matthew chapter 7 verse number 11. If you then being evil, comparatively speaking to God, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who's in heaven give? What kind of things? Good. Don't be bashful. Spit it right out. What kind of things? Good things to those who ask him. What's, what's God trying to tell us? He's trying to say, think good things about me. And then check this out. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How many believe that Jesus was the express image of God the Father manifest in the flesh? How many believe that Jesus was God on the earth? Right? If you didn't raise your hand. Go to discipleship. Jesus was God. Manifest on the, on, on the planet. Here's what the Bible says about, about Jesus. It says in Acts 10.38, how God the Father anointed Jesus the Son with the Holy Ghost. Watch this. Who went about doing what? Don't be bashful. Spit it right out. Good. Healing all those who are oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Notice what God is trying to give us a picture of. Trying to give us a picture of him being a good God. Why? So that we'll think good things about God. Because here's the devil's MO. If he can get you to think bad things about God, he can stop your destiny. I'll prove it to you. In the garden, the devil appears to Adam and Eve. And what does he say? He said, God doesn't want you to eat that fruit. Because God knows that if you do... In the day you do, you're going to be like him, knowing good from evil. And God wants to be by himself. God wants to be all alone, all by himself. He don't want to share. That was what the the devil was saying. What was he trying to do? Get them to think bad things about God. Because if he gets them to think bad things about God, he can destroy their destiny. That's always been his MO. And so God is trying to let us think good things about me. There were some people in the Old Testament that got really, really close to God. Some people that kind of broke the vow. You know, in the Old Testament, you couldn't go directly to God like you can in the New Covenant because there was no Jesus, right? There was no intermediary. There was no, there was no mediator, mediator between God and man. So they, they, they had to go before a veil and they could only go behind the veil if they were high priests and they had to go with certain types of offerings and all that. And the high priests had to have uh, strings put on their feet just in case they got struck dead so that they could be pulled out. But that veil, when Jesus went to the cross, what did the Bible say? That the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. Why? Access granted. Right? But there were certain people that, that got sneaks behind the veil. Moses was one of them. Because he, he talked with God a lot. And one day he was having a conversation with God. He said, he said God, I, I hear your voice kind of here. I don't know where you're at. Kind of spooking me out just a little bit. You know, can I see you? And do you remember what, what God told Moses? He said, he said, okay, Moses. He said, you can't see my face and live. Right? By the way. If God has a face, doesn't that sound like we are kind of made in his image and his likeness? He says, and so, because you can't see my face, check this out. He says, so I'm going to put my, my hand over. Wait a second. God has got a face. God, God's got a hand. Sounds, like, sounds a lot like us, doesn't he? And then he says this, and he says, and then I'm going to walk by you. Well, wait, God's got a face. God's got hands. God's got Legs and feet, because he can, he can walk by. And he says, and then when I walk by, he says, he says, you'll, you'll see my back parts. And you can take that however you want, that that either means God's got a back or God's got a butt, but I think he's got both. <laughs> and then he says this, and he says, 
and I will make all my goodness pass before you. This astounds me because this is an Old Testament God. Not that God has changed, but his, his way of interacting with us has. He's gone from a, a law to, to grace. And we don't thank God we're, we're under grace. And too many people try to live underneath the law, and that's why they're all jacked up. But anyway, here's what he says. He said, I'll make my goodness pass before you. God could have said, I'll make all my, my anger pass before you. Because they deserved his anger. I'll make all my power pass before you. I'll make all my fury pass before you. But he said, I'm going to make my goodness to pass before you. Amazing. In Psalm 23, verse 7, we have somebody else who broke the veil in their relationship with, with God underneath the old covenant. His name was David. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And here's what David said. And, and David said this through experience. Because you remember where David came from. David was a shepherd boy. David should have never been king. He wasn't qualified to be king. He wasn't in line to be king. He didn't have the stock to be king. But you know, David made it to the palace. And I believe when he wrote Psalm number 23, I believe he wrote it from the palace. And here's what he said. He said, surely, verse number 6, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Can I encourage somebody today? Maybe life is not going too good. Look over your shoulder. Guess what? Tell goodness and mercy to come on. Because God wants them to follow you. Wherever you go. That's what David said. He broke, he broke that, that veil all throughout the scripture. We see this. And, and one of our favorite scriptures in my family, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Listen to what it says. For I know the plans I have for you. And I've, I've taught this before, but let me say it again for the benefit of those that have never heard it. Notice God doesn't have a plan for you. He's got, somebody just did it. Somebody, he's got plans. You know why he's got plans? Because we make mistakes. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God doesn't have a plan. Because I know I'm going to make more than one mistake along the way. But God said, when you make a mistake, that's all right. Because God got another way back into the destiny again. He said, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Their plans, watch this, for what? Remember, I told you before, don't be bashful, spit it right out. Their plans for? Good. Plans for good. And not for disaster. To give you future and hope. I don't know who's tried to convince us to think bad of God. And sometimes you get angry preachers who have had experiences that haven't gone their way. Or have had something happen to them along the way. Or maybe they're not happy with where their ministry is. And they'll get up in the pulpit and they will try to convince you that God is not good. Can I tell you there's a lie from the pit of hell. And, and the devil is using the, mouth preach, the mouthpiece of preachers to, to, to brainwash the church. So that we will not experience what God wants us to have. But I'm here to declare to you that the God of heaven is on your side. If God be for you, who can be against you? He goes before you. He stands behind you. The God of angel armies is on your side. Think good things about God. Think good things about God. God wants to lead you out of your place of bondage, through your wilderness of wandering, into your promised land, to defeat your giants so that you can eat your grapes. That's what God wants for you. And the third thing and the last thing I want to share with you today is I want you to think good things about the outcome. 
I want you to think good things about the outcome. Ten of the spies didn't think good things about the outcome. They said the giants are too big. The giants are too strong. We can't defeat them. They're going to kill us. By the way, they, they thought those things about the outcome before they experienced the outcome. Anybody ever think wrong things about an outcome before you ever experience the outcome? Anybody ever get yourself into an anxious lather because you are worried about how something is going to turn out and you fret and fret and fret and fret and worry and worry and worry and lose your peace and lose your mind and stay up all night and the situation never even goes the way you are worried about it going. We spend so much time worried about the outcome. And here's what God says. I want you to think good things about the outcome. There were two that thought good things about the outcome. It was Joshua and Caleb. They said, you know what? God's going to give us the victory. They said, we don't know how, we don't know when, but God will make a way where there seems to be no way. God will fight for us. God will empower us. God will clear a path for us. God will finish what he started. I want you to be like Joshua and Caleb. I want you to think good things about the outcome because you have a choice. If the outcome hasn't happened yet, you can think bad things about the outcome or you can think good things about the outcome. And I'm telling you that if you'll think better things about the outcome, it'll go better for you. Be like, be like the three Hebrew children. You remember them? The, the, the furnace was, was, was turned up seven times hotter. They, they weren't thrown in yet, but they were about to be thrown in. And you know what they did? They looked at the king and they said, King, we just want you to know that if you throw us into the burning fiery furnace, the God that we serve is able to save us from the burning fiery furnace. What were they saying? We're thinking good things about the outcome. I know it doesn't look good. I know it doesn't look right. But we're going to think good things about the outcome. Be, Be like Daniel. They came and they opened and covered the lion's den. And Daniel was sitting there petting the lion's. And they said, what's going on? And, and Daniel looked up and he said, King, my, the God that I serve sent his angel to shut the mouth of these lions so that they wouldn't hurt me. Think good things about the outcome. How about Joseph? Joseph is standing. You know, he's now, he's now second in command. He's prime minister. He started off in a pit. He wound up in prison. Come on, somebody. It doesn't matter where you start. It doesn't matter where you are in the middle. What matters is where you end up. God's got you going somewhere. And he's there. He's now prime minister. His brothers are before him. His brothers think he's going to get him. How many know sometimes it feels good to be in a position to get him? Man, if I was Joseph, I would have been like, pits for everybody. Pits for everybody. You know what he said? He said, don't y'all worry about it. He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God sent me ahead to save all these people so that none of us would die. God had the outcome in mind. I want you to believe good things about the outcome. You may not know how. You may not know why. But I want you to know that God's got the outcome in mind that is good for you. See, we call God a lot of things. We call him our healer and he is. We call him our deliverer and he is. Our provider and he is. Our advocate and he is. Our strong tower and comforter and savior and protector and justifier and restorer and redeemer. But here's what I've come to realize about God. God is the greatest finisher of all time. It's not Tom Brady in the fourth quarter with the game on the line. 
It's not Mariano Rivera in the bottom of the ninth with loaded bases and no outs. They're, they're not the greatest finishers of all time. The greatest finisher of all time is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. My Bible tells me in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 2, that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. It tells me in Philippians chapter 1, verse number 6, that he is able to complete, be confident of this very thing, that he is able to keep that which we've committed to him. God is the greatest finisher of all time. He can do it. Have faith in the outcome. There he was. He was arrested in the garden. The outcome looked like it was in jeopardy. They came with a gaggle of soldiers, band of soldiers, the most highly trained. Peter wanted to fight, but Jesus told him to put his sword away. He was captured, and the outcome looked like it was in jeopardy. They brought him to the courts of Pilate, and Pilate released the prisoner Barabbas instead of Jesus, and Jesus was ordered to be crucified. The outcome looked like it was in jeopardy. They hung Jesus over a rock and beat him with a Roman cat of nine tails 39 times across his back. And the outcome looked like it was in jeopardy. They caused him to carry his own cross and the weight of it would cause him to fall to the ground not once, not twice, but three different times until they asked Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross and the outcome was in jeopardy. He got up to the top of Golgotha's hill and there they laid one beam on the ground and they, they nailed his feet to it. And they laid the other beam on the ground and they nailed his hands to it. And then they lifted his lifeless body up between heaven and hell. And the outcome looked like it was in jeopardy. There on the cross he yelled those words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the outcome looked like it was in jeopardy. But how many of you know, before he gave up the ghost, he uttered three words that ought to get you excited about your outcome when it looks like it's in jeopardy. He said it is finished he is the greatest finisher of all time and I promise you it may not look right sometimes it may even go in the wrong direction sometimes you may even take a step back or two but I promise you that God's got his eyes on the prize just like you and I ought to get our eyes on the prize looking on to Jesus the Bible says He said, for the joy set before him endured the cross. Let us look on to Jesus. Let us lay aside every sin and the weight that so easily beset us. And let us look with patience to the race set before us. This is looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Sometimes you're going to see giants, but don't lose faith in the outcome. Think good things about the outcome. I read about this African king. And he had, a, he had a friend who he hung out with all the time. And his, his friend, no matter what happened, he would always say, this is good. This is good. So, th- so they go hunting, and, and the friend loads the gun for the king. And, and the king takes the gun, and he shoots, and something went wrong. Something wasn't done right with the loading of the gun. And it blew off the king's finger. And he looked at the friend, and the friend said, this is good. And the king said, what do you mean this is good? And he threw him in jail. A couple years went by, and the king Went hunting out in a dangerous area. He was captured by cannibals. Cannibals captured him. And before they were ready to eat him, somebody noticed he was missing a thumb. 
And being superstitious, not wanting to eat anything that had been poisonous or infected, they let him go. And the king remembered his friend in prison. And he went back to prison and he let his friend out. He said, I'm so sorry I kept you in prison for all these years. He said, he said, had, had my thumb not have been blown off, said I would have been eaten by those cannibals. And, and I'm sorry you're in prison for all these years. And the friend looked at him and said, this is good. And he said, why could this be good? And the friend said, because if I wasn't in prison, I would have been with you when the cannibals got you and they would have ate me. Come on, somebody. This is good. This is good. I don't know what your good is, but I know it's good. I know all things are working together for the good for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. I don't know why you went that way when you thought you should have went this way, but God spared you from something along the way and God is setting you up for something that is good. You need to have faith in the outcome. Faith in the outcome. Would you stand to your feet?